We'll be in Proverbs chapter number one this morning. And I taught out of Proverbs in, in Sunday school this morning and, and shared this with the class that, you know, for, for many years, Proverbs was a, was a real foundational part of my Bible reading and study. And through no intentional purpose, but there are 66 books in the Bible, and, and it's hard to focus on all 66 at one given time. <laughs> you know the struggle, Brother Taylor. You want to, you know, be saturated with the whole counsel of God, but, you know, how many time do we spend, you know, agonizing over, you know, Habakkuk? Uh, I don't know if we've read that one in a little while. We need to get back to that. And for whatever the reason... And it's certainly not because I have enough wisdom, but for whatever reason, I I haven't been spending as much time in Proverbs as I once did. And I'm coming back to that. I need wisdom. I need instruction. I need help. Proverbs is the book that guides our daily lives, or at least it should. And I want to spend some time in Proverbs chapter 1 this morning. Let's go ahead and take our Bibles. They're open there to the book of Proverbs. Let's stand to our feet for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to read a few verses from verse 7 to verse number 10. And then I would like to take what is said and look down to verse number 20 through through the end of the chapter, verse 33. So here we go. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 1, verse number 7, it declares that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. My son, hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother. For they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head and chains about thy neck. My son... If sinners entice thee, consent thou not. I pause after reading verse number 10 because it encapsulates so much of what follows from verse number 11 to verse number 19. That we live in a world that is full of enticement, wouldn't we agree? And sometimes that enticement of sinners comes from outside of our minds, outside of our hearts. It it comes from the things that we see in front of our eyes and hear with our ears. It, It comes from the crowd that we find ourselves moving in, surrounded by, whether it be at work or at at school or or at the game or just out and about. We are surrounded by the darkness and the depravity of this world. And just as it was a dangerous enticement to David and to Solomon, it is a dangerous enticement to us. However, the enticement of sinners is not just something that takes place outside of our minds. But in the body of this death, the body of this flesh, in which we struggle every single day, there is unholy enticement there every single day. And Satan knows where your weakness is. And as a roaring lion who has already sifted out and exposed it so many times in our past, he still walked about seeking whom he may devour. And the command to us is to be sober, to be vigilant. 
Be aware of this adversary and his attacks. And understand that the enticement of sinners sometimes does not just come from outside, but comes from within the wicked places of our own heart. So who is there to guide us? And that's where we pick up in verse number 20. Wisdom is there to guide us. But not just the wisdom of this world, but God's wisdom. Wisdom crieth without. She uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief place of of concourse in the openings of the gates in the city she uttereth her words saying how long ye simple ones will ye love simplicity and the scorners delight in their scorning and fools hate knowledge turn you at my reproof behold I will pour out my spirit unto you I will make make known my words unto you because I have called and ye refused I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded. But ye have said it not, all my counsel, and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation, and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, they shall call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own deceits. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them and the prosperity of the fools, the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. Father, I pray that you would help us to give heed and and to understand and to follow the warning here in Proverbs chapter number 1. And I ask, Lord, that you would empty of me of myself. Father, fill me with the clarity and the unction of power of your Spirit. And Lord, I pray that you would accomplish in our hearts and minds what you desire. Father, may your word speak for itself. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. (coughs) From verse 20 to verse number 33, there is a great contrast of people. We see wisdom, the wisdom of God crying out from verse number 20 all the way down to verse number 24. And then the response when man does not listen, that that disastrous and, and difficult things come. We find at the close of this chapter, in verse number 3, this phrase, fear of evil. Fear of evil. And that is our focus this morning and the title of the message. I'd like to preach on the topic of the fear of evil. The fear of evil could mean a a number of things, and we want to clarify what specifically is being intended here in Proverbs chapter number 1. For there is a fear of moral evil. 
a concern that wickedness as that roaring lion who seeketh whom he may devour prowls and, and creeps closer and closer to his prey, which often is us, that there is a, a trepidation, a concern, a, a seriousness, a, a somberness concerning what would happen if he would sink his teeth into us and, and, and that moral evil would to, were to overwhelm the righteous desires of our heart. But I do not believe that is what is in view here. Here is not the presence of moral evil, that we are surrounded with wickedness that is impending its doom upon us, nor do I see that it is necessarily the threat of being over, overflown or flooded over by that evil. For we know that Jesus Christ has already obtained the victory over all of those things. The Bible has already declared that greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. And we do not have to fear the way that other men have to fear because we have an eternal hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have to tremble every single morning because He is high and He is holy and He is lifted up. His train fills the temple. The earth is His and the fullness thereof. He is the one that is on the throne and nothing can happen without His permission. The Bible says we have not been given the spirit of fear, but of power that comes from God and love that comes from God and of a sound mind that comes from God. However, there's another type of evil here we should all, that we should all have a healthy fear of. This is not the presence of moral evil, but instead it is the consequence of our foolish decisions. The consequence of our foolish decisions. It could be said this way, that this is not spiritual evil, but instead the consequence of evil. Evil being that thing which is against the will of God. Sometimes even on the screen here this morning, we paint evil as this black and ominous thing that is far off, that creeps closely upon us without us knowing. But instead, evil is a whole different nature together. But that black, ominous thing is anything that is outside the will of God for our lives. Every lie is evil. Every word that is outside of the love of Christ is evil. Everything that falls under that category of disobedience to God that is not pleasing to God, all of those things are under the category of evil. You see, that's why it is impossible for man to be righteous without the righteousness of Christ. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin is not just these big named things that are out there. They're even the small infractions that are, in, that are an attack on the sovereignty of God in our lives. For all of those things are evil. And all of those things have consequence. When we look at verse number 33 and we see the phrase the fear of evil, what is being put in view here is the fruit that comes from being planted in the soil of one's own tempers, attitudes, and desires. 
Look at verse number 31. In the very beginning of the verse, it says, Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way. Look at the remainder of the verse. And be filled with their own desires. It's another way of saying, Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And if he is sowing to the flesh corruption, he will of the flesh reap corruption. It is the result, this evil that comes, is the result of our own devices, we see in verse number 31. Our own priorities. Our own pursuits. Our own relationships, our own godless view of how life should be lived. Every single time that we take our ways instead of His ways. For I remind you that His ways are not our ways, for His ways are higher. So, what then at the beginning of the chapter or the beginning of this passage? We hear the voice of God's wisdom speaking here. Listen to His voice in verse number 20. Wisdom crieth without. She. Who is that she? Is that God Himself? Yes, it is the voice of God. But it is one particular aspect of God's eternal being. It is the aspect of God's wisdom. God's wisdom as a watchful lady cries out and uttereth her voice in the street. Listen to who is speaking. It is not the entirety of God's being, but it is the aspect of God's wisdom. The wisdom crieth out. She uttereth her verse, voice. Verse number 21, uh, the final part of the verse says, She uttereth her words, saying, in verse number 23, she says, Turn you at my reproof. That is the reproof of God's wisdom. And throughout this, we have a conversation between the aspect of God's wisdom that is being delivered to man. And man who crosses his arms and shakes his head and says, I will not follow your wisdom, God. Now I'd like to examine three elements of that fear of evil that all of us should have when we refuse God's wisdom. First off, I want you to notice that this is a legitimate fear. Many times we get overwhelmed with fear and trepidation, and we shouldn't. We fear things that will never happen. We fear this pending doom that will never take place. Every parent in this room knows this feeling, for we look at our children as they rest peaceably in their beds, and our minds begin to imagine the years spinning by and and graduation taking place, and these precious boys and girls that have been entrusted to us and now going out into the world, and sometimes that fear grips us. Whom will they marry? What will their life be like? Will their health continue? Will they be sustained? What will all of these things look like and if you're anything like me sometimes that fear will well up within our hearts but that fear is not founded when we were kids we'd go to bed we leave the door cracked just a teensy weensy little bit so the light could peer through why because we're afraid of the dark I mean sure none of you were afraid of the dark 
Sometimes in the unknown, fear can control our heart, our actions, our thoughts, and we wring our hands with distress and anxiety. We go try to get some kind of medication to squash the panic. And I'm, don't take me wrong, I'm not against medication. We get these things to squash the panic, but the reality is there are some fears that are unfounded. They are illegitimate fears. They are not the way that God has ordained that his people should live, not under the oppression of worry and anxiety and, and, and turmoil, but instead of, of power and of love and of a sound mind that we of all people should plant our feet on the promises of God and be the most confident people on earth, not because of our abilities, but because of God's promise. We should be unstoppable, fearless, and faithful. But there is a fear that is legitimate. And this one right here is a legitimate fear. Verse number 26 says that I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. For when we live outside of God's will and we live in rebellion to what he has commanded for us to do, we need to understand that your sin, our sin, will Find us out. Our foolishness will not go without consequences. We can do whatever we want. We can choose all of our own actions. But we can choose none of our consequences. Oh, it changed my life when I realized that my life was not a combination of all of my choices. For choices take place in an infinitely small moment. But consequences can last for eternity. And your life is not a combination of your choices. Your life is the culmination of all of its consequences. Some glorious consequences. Life. Liberty. The abundance that we have in the fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope that you are not suffering from the choice of coming to church today. I do hope that it has been a glorious consequence for some of you. A restful, a restful consequence I observe. That's okay. Dear friends, use the elbow, but do it gently, please. I, I hope that coming to church has been has brought a, a glorious consequence. However, there are some consequences that we have in life that cannot be escaped, that cannot be relieved, that cannot be removed. Why? Because we have done we have committed our actions outside of God's will, and our sin will find us out, and it will be what we reap, because it is what we sowed, and this is a legitimate fear. It is the fear that keeps us honest, and this is a manifestation. This is so important. Please do not miss this. This is often how the fear of the Lord is manifest in our lives. I realize that there is a balance here between the fear of the Lord and resting in His grace. We're going to get to this in a moment. But they are two elements that must exist. We cannot exist in the rest of His grace without recognizing the trembling fear of His presence. 
nor can we live in the trembling fear of his presence and dismiss the rest that we can have in his grace. And I will try to reconcile these things in just a moment. So if you'll allow me to magnify the fear that we should have of the Lord. For it manifests in our lives in knowing that He is the holy and mighty judge. That He is the one that searches our hearts and knows our thoughts. He is the one to whom we must do and to whom we must answer to. And His wisdom has called out to us. She has spoken out to us in the streets, in the chief gates, in the city. God has made His words known unto us. Therefore, when we act in disobedience to them, they are not casual disobedience. It is direct disobedience to God. The Bible says, the beginning of this proverb, Proverbs 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In Psalm 111, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and good understanding have all they that do His commandments. His praise endureth forever. Jesus says in Matthew chapter number 10, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Listen to the legitimacy of this fear, but rather fear Him. Fear Him, which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You realize that Jesus referred to the place of hell and the lake of fire far more times that He mentioned the glories of heaven. That does not mean that one is more real than the other, but it does mean that there is a danger that Jesus was trying to warn all men and women of. We should have a legitimate fear. He says in verse number 24, Because I have called and ye have refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. It flows into verse number, excuse me, verse number 25. He says, But ye have set at naught all my counsel and would none of my reproof. That word, excuse me, that word uh, not in the Hebrew is the word para. It literally means to let go, to let loose, to ignore, to let alone. We ought to be fearful of what may come whenever God gives us instruction. He reaches down with his wisdom to cry unto us and hand us to it. I love the word picture of this in verse 24. I have stretched out my hand. No man regarded Could it be that some of us this morning, the wisdom of God is crying unto you. The wisdom of God is stretching out His hand. And we're sitting here just letting go of it. Is there anything more dangerous for us to drop? We get cases for our 
for our phones because we spend way too much money on them and we keep them safe in our pockets and we get these insurance policies on them just for, why? Because we're afraid that we might drop them. We're careful about who we hand our children to. A new mother walks into the nursery downstairs and hands that precious bundle of life to the nursery worker. And let's be honest, there's a fear. By the way, we've got some fantastic nursery workers. Fear not. (laughs) Neither be thou dismayed. (laughs) We're so concerned about dropping those things. Why? Oh, because the consequences of what would happen if you were to drop a child. Oh, it could be permanent damage. But what if we were to drop the wisdom that God gives? What if He stretches out His arm and gives us guidance and answers our prayer? What if we're sitting here this morning and we've never received Christ as our Savior and He calls unto you, Come to me, all you that labor, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And you drop it, and you don't regard it, and you let it go. What is the fear that you have of that? Do you not realize that there is a place of torment that burneth forever and ever and ever? And yes, that is a legitimate fear. So, Pastor Jared, I only came to Christ because I was afraid. What is wrong with that? You know, we call it being saved in a physical wet realm. Someone in a terrible car accident. Do you think they're disappointed that they were afraid of what might happen and glad that they got saved because of it? How many times has the those, oh, glorious button's been pushed? 911. Thank the Lord for all of those first responders who come rushing to our aid. And how many times have those numbers been pressed because something happened that incited fear? See, the fear of not obeying God is a legitimate fear. Not only that, but notice this. It can lead to a lonely fate. Verse 24, Because I have called and you have refused, I have stretched up my hand and no man regarded. But ye have said it not all my counsel and would none of my reproof. This next verse is astounding to me. Verse 26. All right, if you just want to live however you want to live, if you want to reject my salvation, if you want to refuse my wisdom, then wisdom responds and says, verse 26, I will laugh at your calamity. I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. Look all the way, all the way down as we move down to this verse and we see this, this lonely, this lonely fate. Not only do we see the, the wisdom of God mocking and, and laughing at the calamity, uh, but the Bible says in verse 28, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. And this lonely fate is described in verse number 27 as desolation, as destruction, as anguish, as distress. It comes as a whirlwind. In other words, these consequences, they come perhaps when you're least expecting them. You thought you got away with it. You thought that everything was fine. You thought that you were living in prosperity. You thought that all was well. And then, 
judgment comes knocking at the door. Calamity, distress, anguish, and destruction. And you turn your face towards heaven. And God's wisdom does not answer. And you seek Him early with tears. And He does not hear you. Because you have already refused the voice of God's wisdom. It's a lonely fate. It's a lonely fate. Do you realize that there are times in which it is too late for God to tell you what to do? Because the damage has already been done. Now understand my words clearly. It doesn't mean that it's too late for God to work and move. But who is the one speaking here? It's one aspect. It's one aspect of God's nature. It is His wisdom. And I was going through this passage on the plane yesterday and I thought I had it you know pretty well digested and figured out and everything and I was sharing those things with with Alma Lee and I I tell you she's such a help to me I came to this passage and I I was reading verse 26 and it says I also will laugh at your calamity I will mock you when your fear cometh and and I was having a little bit of a I have a hard time with that at first. I said, well, that's what the Bible says. God is going to laugh at my calamity. He's going to mock when my fear cometh. This legitimate fear. It's a lonely fate. And I, I looked down and I, and I read, I read, they shall call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. And I, I think, man, this is harsh, isn't it? Where is the hope here? Where is the solution here? And now Malia was looking at this and she said, you know, Jared, yes, God is speaking, but there's one aspect of God that's speaking. It's God's wisdom that's speaking. Verse 20, this is the context of the verse. Wisdom crieth without. She uttereth her voice in the streets. Verse 21, she, wisdom, Crieth in the chief place, in the concourse, in the openings of the gates, in the city. She uttereth her words, saying. And then, hear all the things that wisdom is saying. Now, I want to be very careful. I don't want to separate the message of God's wisdom from the person of, of who God is. That is not what I intend here. But what I do intend to say is this. Is that there are more aspects to the character and the, the nature of God than just His wisdom. If I could explain it this way, this does not mean that God's heart is now unreachable. No, it means that we have disregarded His wisdom to such a degree that His wisdom cannot guide you out of the problem that you are in. Instead, you need a greater solution than just the wisdom of God. If I can make another correlation spiritually and biblically, there it comes a place where the justice of God is inflexible and unmovable and we get to a place in our own unrighteousness that the justice of God can offer no help for you. For when you call for God's justice, He only brings 
judgment. Why? Because you are guilty. His justice cannot help. His judgment cannot help. For we are all condemned. However, this speaks of the beautiful and wonderful unity of all of God's attributes. For God is justice. But I'll tell you what he is also. He is mercy. God is judgment. Oh, but I know this as well about my God. That he is forgiveness. And it is all found in one place concerning the nature of God. It is found in the forgiving and the, and the reconciling power of the Lord Jesus Christ. How is it that God can forgive? It's because Jesus has paid the price. How is it that God can show mercy? It's because He poured out His justice on the Lord Jesus Christ. For when He became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him, He did not just take all of your lust and all of your lies and all of your blasphemy and all of your your, um, foolish ways, but He also took your disregard for the wisdom of God that He might be able to come in when there is no help by God's wisdom and show grace. And show grace. And where God's wisdom says, I will not hear and I will not answer, Jesus says, come unto me. Come unto me, my children. Come unto me, you heavy laden, you hard workers, you beat up, you that have made terrible mistakes. He calls out to a harlot in Magdala filled with demons named Mary and says, come unto me. You've made some foolish choices and wisdom cannot help you. You need a greater solution. And that greater solution is Jesus Christ himself. The fear of evil. It is a legitimate fear. It is a lonely fate. But there is a liberating future. But it is only found in Christ. And we come to the conclusion of this passage and we get a glimpse of Jesus in verse 33. I can hear the sweetness of his voice as he calls to his disciples and says, follow me. As he calls out to the paralytic or the blind or the sinners to repentance. And I can hear the voice of Jesus say, But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely. And he shall be quiet from fear of evil. For there is a haven of rest in the Lord Jesus Christ that none else can provide. There is a forgiveness of our past that we can find in His cresting arms. There is a deliverance from evil that we can have in Jesus that none else can provide. For when we receive Christ as our Savior, all things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Listen, this church is intended to be a place where the broken can be healed, a place where the scars of the past can be removed. And will there be consequences? Sure, there will be. But do those consequences have to overwhelm or block the ears of God? Absolutely not. For His ears are open to those who cry unto Him in faith in the name of Jesus Christ. Whether it be your need of salvation, your need of guidance, your need of deliverance, your need of wisdom, it can all be found there in Christ. 
But look closely at verse 33 because this is the call. But whoso hearkeneth unto me. Do you sense that fear of evil in your life? There is a liberating future. But you're not going to find relief by blaming everyone around you. You'll not find relief, not this kind of relief, by some other human relationship You won't find it through prosperity in your business or or fruitfulness in some endeavor. The only place to find this kind of relief is by hearkening, listening, following the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the only way. It's the only way. And, And when we follow him, we find that we can dwell safely That we can pillow our head tonight knowing that we have an eternal home in heaven. That we can rest well knowing that we don't have to worry about the consequences of evil. Why? Because we have placed ourselves under the authority of God's leadership. And and, and His Word is, is our God. It is the lamp into our feet. It is the light into our path. I don't have to worry about what might happen to me in those dark corners of this existence. Why? Because I am following the path that He has illuminated before me. It doesn't mean that difficulty won't come. It doesn't mean that persecution will not be there. For all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But does it mean that we can be held safe and dwell safely from the fear of those evil consequences? Yes, it does. We can dwell safely. And not only do we dwell safely, but I love the final phrase of how this is worded. And shall be quiet. From fear of evil. Shall be quiet. From fear of evil. Many of us have restless souls this morning. Restless souls. Because there are aspects of our life. That we have not put under the authority of God. There's consequences we fear are are coming. And maybe you're here this morning and you've tried to push them aside and ignore them for many years now. But let me tell you that this is a legitimate fear. See what I mean? Well-timed. So, Pastor Jared, you ruined the mood. If your relationship with Jesus is built on a mood... You have no relationship with Jesus. It needs to be built on the substance of His Word. And that never changes. If you're here this morning with a restless soul, the loose ends of your life need dealt with, I beg you, this morning, come to Jesus. And find liberty, liberty for your future.